Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode seven of Locomotive Podcast. My name is Parker Mortensen. I'm here with my co-host, Bianca Velasquez. Hi, Bianca. Hi, Parker. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> so we spoke with Haya Monero. We had a very thorough conversation with Hai about their art and their journey with becoming a tattoo artist and how they are not able to do that full time and very successfully. Yeah, I honestly didn't realize how successful they'd been. And it's really cool to see because what prompted us to reach out to Hai and to talk to them specifically about their journey with tattooing was our understanding that breaking into the tattoo industry isn't necessarily easy. (laughs) It's also different than it was before. Yes, exactly. So we wanted to talk to somebody who has been around long enough in the art world and familiar with tattoos long enough to be able to articulate what it feels like to be part of the shift within the tattoo industry. Mm -hmm. That's definitely um, something that I'm excited that we talked about was kind of the ability to break into it a little bit easier and how accessible it is now to LGBTQ plus BIPOC individuals when in the past it's been very dominated by like the cis het white male. Yeah. I think when we talk about disrupting all the time, it's like in the context of cis het white male people. Um, doing disrupting and it, like in big quotes where it's like they're really just disrupting something that doesn't really need disruption it's sort of just like shaking up a market in order to make money whereas I feel like the way that um, we talked about their experience in tattooing represented a sort of disruption of like gatekeeping around tattoos and it made me think a lot about tattoos in general like I don't have any you have a lot Hi has a lot obviously Um, so I kind of just sat back and listened for most of this time because I feel like I had a lot to learn and I just don't know a lot about tattoos. So honestly, I was learning things, um, in the moment that I had no idea about, which is always the case, but I don't know. It was just like, uh, area where I, I don't have any personal experience and, um, you guys both did. I'm really grateful for Hi and their comfortability comfortability with us their comfort they were very comfortable with us and so they we were able to touch on some deeper themes that i didn't really we really didn't plan on but i'm yeah, really grateful stuff that for was them. very personal to them yeah i'm really grateful for them to offer their own experience in such a sensitive and personal way but i think that's also what makes high such a great person to work with when it comes to tattoos because they have such a calming presence they're very open they're very vulnerable and in a way that makes anyone around them feel safe yeah and i think that's such an, that and we do touch on that in in the episode but i think that's such an important thing to do to carry that that type of energy We'll let them speak for themselves, so please enjoy this episode with Hi, I'm Enjoy. 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 Hello, my name is Hi. Um, My pronouns are they, them, she, her, and he, him, so very gender fluid. And my, I just am a tattoo artist, and artists all across the board. So, that is my my little introduction and we're so happy to talk to you yes and i want to get started by asking you what do you think are the biggest myths about getting started in the tattoo industry yeah that's actually a really good question i think one of the biggest myths that i've personally seen is that the traditional american culture is the only and main majority of the culture that's like existing currently Mm -hmm. when in reality i do think that our generation has created such a massive rift that it is no longer, like when I think of at least for all the people that I interact with, they don't think of American traditional as much as that they do our new generation in terms of tattooing. So I think that is a very, very good starting point, I think, for us because it's heavily shifting everything. And in a way you could say it's allowing that part of the culture that is no longer necessary and that is damaging to die off as it should, um, <laughs> because we don't need it. <laughs> but I do think that, I, I really think that it's it's very obvious and now clear, um, and it's becoming less of a myth. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, people always think, like, 
oh, you know, queer people, BIPOC people cannot enter this space. I will say it's still difficult, but it is far more accessible than it used to be, for sure. Yeah, I feel like when when I started getting tattoos and started learning more about tattoos, it was something that was perceived as, this came from sailor culture, mm -hmm. like white sailor culture that yes. like, and Popeye ass bullshit, yeah. you know? And it's definitely not the case. Obviously, um, there's a deep history in Asian culture mm -hmm. with tattoos and also like, Pacific Island culture with tattoos yes. and methods that have la have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years, mm -hmm. and it does not belong to the white male community that yes. has dominated it yes. <laughs> in no, the United absolutely. States. Absolutely. I actually really like that you brought that up because I was reading some articles, um, and they talked about how like no specific culture can technically claim tattooing, mm -hmm. just because it's been a part of human culture as a... I guess as a whole, for all of our history. And it was more of the Christianity and colonization that came out of Christianity that then started to then almost ostracize the indigenous cultures and even white cultures that used it as part of their markings, as part of their celebratory or status or whatever. And they became um, ostracized and almost put to the side as like savages mm. like they were less than right mm -hmm. and of course within indigenous cultures let's say here in the Americas or Asian culture they were automatically deemed as less than and even more than anything they were exhibited as like animals and savages mm. and when I was looking through this history I was really really saddened because I realized just how much people had taken advantage of people of color in terms of like their markings and their special symbolism be behind their culture. And they would lie. Like people that were tattooed that were white would lie and be a part of circuses and stuff as like freaks, right? Mm -hmm. But they would lie about how people of color, indigenous individuals within like North America would actually um, non-consensually tattoo them when that was not the case mm. they were actually taking those designs from those cultures and implementing it into this whole idea of a freak show which that in of itself is incredibly dehumanizing to those mm -hmm. different cultures right that these were symbols of, of power of um, shamans of women matriarchs you know it's like these things are very important to these cultures and unfortunately it became this idea of like oh sailors brought this here like mm -hmm. you said when in reality, all they did was they just collected. Mm -hmm. And like, that's great. Art is about collection. It's about being able to feel something and embrace the art and create something new out of it. But it is very different to then steal and appropriate and decide that like, this is now ours. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? When and it's only good because it's ours. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's like everything else is less than. It's mm -hmm. not as important. The only reason that this culture of American traditional exists because of all the other like cultures that created this. Mm -hmm. So... That is a very fascinating um, topic in general, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that brings up, too, is kind of the ebbs and flows of what tattooing, uh, being, having tattoos means, you mm -hmm. know? Like, in Japan, it's super illegal. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And also, like, m me and my upbringing, it was super a, a source of shame to want to have tattoos, to have tattoos, which is interesting because it's, you know, within the Latinx culture, and it's like, what happened that, uh, you know, created tattoos or gave that perception that tattoos means that you're dirty or that you're bad exactly. or that you're a criminal. Yes. You know, that is definitely how like my family sees it. And that's changed obviously with time. Mm. More and more people have tattoos. It's more acceptable in more workplaces. Yeah. But you know, there's so many ups and downs of when it's been accepted and when it hasn't been accepted. And yeah. it's just like interesting to see those shifts happen in history and see them happen happening now, even when people, when with who has been able to access tattooing as a job yes so what do you think has been the biggest changes you know within the last five or ten years that has given like poc and lgbtq plus individuals more access to being tattoo artists um well first i i think i want to start off by just saying resilience I think like the the people are any minority or marginalized group of individuals have a resilience when it comes to these kind of obstacles. I don't think it's easy to overcome them, right? And in a way that allows a lot of critical thinking, a lot of I guess like being tactful in the way that you want to approach something that is so heavily 
dominated by the white cis man. And so that was something that I find very interesting because I think that as of right now, you're starting to see all these younger um, people of color, queer individuals um, of all sorts, bringing not only art to the table and new, like just their own tattooing, but their style, mm -hmm. you know, their origins, their culture. And even if it's influenced by their culture, that in of itself is very valuable. So I do think that it's been incredibly rewarding to see and be a part of the movement that is, how do we create a healthier culture for all people and how do we integrate everyone rather than creating walls in between different people? Because that's what was, mm -hmm. you know, in the last 10 years. And I know that you understand because you would walk into these places and I mean, Parker, I'm sure you understand too. And sometimes like you just felt unsafe because it's like these people clearly are not on the same page. Yeah. They're very toxic and you can feel it in the air. There's like a mm -hmm. pressure. And it's like, like you don't belong there. Yeah, like, tattooing yeah. is for them, and you don't, you shouldn't have exactly. any art. That's their art form. It's like, mm -hmm. even though it's a service that they need to provide to anybody. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, so you're talking about um, your experience of like going to tattoo shops, like in the, when you were starting to get tattoos, and you felt mm -hmm. very ostracized. Yeah, yeah, there was definitely a lot of fear. One, I, I feel like I present very queer. Mm -hmm. Whether it's my voice, I don't look. Queer in the sense that I present very like cis male, sure. But also, it's like, what is the concept of the aesthetic of queer, right? Yeah. Um, that in of itself is a whole another topic. But you could tell that there was this pressure that this uh, tattoo artist would create because it was about the money. Yeah. It was a walk-in shop. Most walk-in shops tend to have a little bit more of that culture. And I don't want to like misspeak for all tattoo shops because not all places are like that. But I do think that the concept that American traditional is tied so heavily to being off, like if you are a, a BIPOC person or a marginalized individual, and those two go hand in hand and how they clash, I think that's very, very obvious as to like what was wrong within the culture five to ten years ago, you know, because yeah. it's like not that it's long so ago. recent. It it's is so, so recent. recent. It's so, so recent. That's yeah. what, I mean, that's actually what kept me from becoming a tattoo artist. I didn't want to become one because I didn't think I had a place to even fit in and exist in within the tattoo culture it just I didn't see it as a possibility well there's this ritual of apprenticeship too and it's mm -hmm. so hard to get this apprenticeship because you have to the conundrum of getting experience but how can you have experience get experience if you don't have experience because they want you to have experience to get experience yes. but it's also that barrier of just like who they want to see become a tattoo artist. Exactly. Someone like that. Right. It's very exactly. selective. Yeah. It's very, yeah, it's almost like they want to create mini-me's of themselves. <laughs> yeah. And like, I get like the preservation of culture. My only issue is that culture has its, its limits, mm -hmm. you know, and at one point culture can become toxic. I think there's a lot of cultures that are great examples of that. This is a great example of that. You know, it's mm -hmm. like, it's not allowing individuals to be a part of something. And I, of all things, I just don't see why art is something that should be gatekept. Like, mm -hmm. it no. feels so wrong to the, the essence of art because of how prominent it's been throughout history and how that's impacted not just that single culture, but then how it ripples throughout other cultures. Mm -hmm. So my, I think I would say my main issue with American traditional is that it's so tied to toxic white cis male culture mm -hmm. that it does, it, it's like it ripples out the wrong feelings i wonder what that has to do with its relationship to pain because there, there's even mm. that attitude where it's like no i don't want to give you the numbing stuff no i don't mm. want you you yeah. know I, you need to sit through this if you want this you need to sit through the pain mm -hmm. and like earn it yeah earn it yeah. Which is, is that a thing that happens I've, yeah there's been times where it's like <clears throat> like i i know that the numbing the numbing like stuff is accessible mm -hmm. to most tattoo artists yeah. but sometimes some people feel and yeah, there's some, some of it has to do with like the quality. Sometimes the quality isn't the same when you use that, mm -hmm. but it's, yeah. there's this attitude of, no, I don't do that. I don't, I don't uh, believe in that. I, I don't see. stand by that. But it's also like, where's the line between what the customer wants, yes. what the experience the customer wants and what the person wants to experience they want to give. Yeah. 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 And actually now that you said that, that sparked a notion, which was, for me, when I tattoo my clients, one, I feel incredibly honored because I think that to alter someone's body, someone's vessel is incredibly important. And not only important, it is something that people should genuinely 
I guess, treasure, mm -hmm. because this vessel is what has gotten them throughout their life. It's mm -hmm. carried them throughout their life. And you're adding to an aspect of their journey. So to come into a tattoo shop, let's say with a shitty mood or some sort of like just unappreciation, it's too commercialized. I personally don't agree with that. I think that tattooing should be a healing process because it is a cellular damage that you're creating to your body mm. and your body's going to keep score, right? Mm -hmm. It's going to remember. Uh -huh, we all know that book. Yeah. It's <laughs> right? No, yeah. And it's unfortunate the writer is terrible, but the yeah. book is beautiful. And I think that within that, like, I, I know of all my tattoos. I have, like, over probably 70 tattoos. And I remember every individual tattoo, what I was doing, who I was with, mm -hmm. the place that I got it at. And that, to me, reali made me realize, I'm like, normally my memory's kind of shitty, let's be real. <laughs> I'm like, but with tattoos, it's not. And I, I realized, I'm like, it's because my body is so deeply connected to that. It's and a method I, of recording. Exactly. Yeah. It's like a journal. It's mm -hmm. a journal within your own vessel, and that's beautiful. And I think that's something that needs to be not only recognized more, but respected more. Yeah, I love that you said that, because I do feel that way about creating specifically like and mm -hmm. for me I've chosen the mediums that I have because they help me remember what I was listening to yeah. and what I was like feeling in that day the weather that day like it really is like a time capsule to me to yeah. make something and I don't know what that is but it's like it's kind of magical so it's really cool that that's how you feel about your own tattoos yeah. and that's something that you're like giving to somebody else I, I heard this really pretty quote once that was I don't know who said it, but they essentially said, I don't believe in time, I believe in moments. Mm -hmm. And when I thought about that, I was like, that's kind of cool. Because I think of moments as almost like a sphere. Like your reality can only create a sphere as far as you can see, as far as you can experience, mm -hmm. right? So I think that that in of itself, I, I was thinking, I'm like, you look back, and it's almost like you're not looking back in time, you're looking back at that moment within when you got the actual tattoo, right? And that is what's important more than anything. So you guys have a lot of tattoos. I don't have any. Yes. You don't. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. No. What the heck? Is it something more that like you've just chosen not to do or you just haven't like come around to it? I think um, it's a little bit of both. I think part of it's just like I haven't done it up to this point and so I probably just like I don't even think about doing it honestly. Yeah. Um, and it but... can be intimidating. Yeah, it can. Um, my mom got a tattoo. Um, we, we're, she's very Mormon. Well, she's not anymore, but she was very Mormon. Um, and when she got hers, it was just like a little small, simple thing. just like two rings interconnected. Yeah. Um, but we, she did it at a... Like, I just went along with her to, you know, be supportive. Um, and she got it done at, a, I think, a tattoo shop, I want to say, in Provo. Um, Amazing. It was, it was, like, the most unengaging experience like they those people were um like the way you were describing like clocking in and having a bad day or whatever they were no. just it was just like it was very transactional it was very much yeah. like we're just gonna do this thing and i and maybe that was um partly because it was such a simple tattoo that they had that attitude about it but i was like yeah, this is a really big deal for my mom this was yeah. like like that was her that was a moment for her like taking a step you know emotionally into something new in her life um, and I was very disappointed by the way that it was handled. Yes. No, because it's like those things are forever going to stick. Like to think of a first tattoo. Like mm -hmm. you said, it's like it may be small, but usually a lot of people that they get their first tattoo, there's a lot of impact. There's mm -hmm. a lot of reasons why they are getting that. And it makes me sad to think that like, you know, this person and your mom wasn't respected and yeah, maybe the individual was not going through the best time, but to bring that and then to literally like tattoo it in a sense into that person's body, like that is something I don't agree with. You know, it just doesn't feel humane and like ethical. It, but I, I do have, I guess I have some sympathy for, and not that they were shitty or anything, you know, it's just like, I wish that they had, um, felt like it was as meaningful as my mom did. But, um, you know, when it is your job, like, you have to clock in. You have to do your shit. That yeah. seems really challenging. Sense of being desensitized to it. Yeah, and um, I just I really quickly want to touch on this point. I think one beautiful thing about our generation is mental health awareness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, because I struggle from bipolar two disorder and PTSD, and so for me, there are days that I just simply can't work. You know, yeah. it's that idea of like clocking in, right? Mm -hmm. 
And before, I always felt that pressure, like, I have to perform, I have to do this. But then the more I thought, and like, every time that I do this, I feel terrible because I realized that I poured my negative energy into this person's vessel. And so I'm very transparent with my clients. I'm like, hey, I'm not having a good mental health day. I want your tattoo not only to be good, but I want you to have a good experience because that is the most important thing. You know, it's like if you're having a good experience, the tattoo in of itself, let's say it doesn't mean anything. It will just make you feel good because you're like, that experience was awesome, mm-hmm. right? So that's been kind of my my overall like thinking with that situation is how, how do we make that happen and make it more... Um, I guess let it spread throughout the communities, not just tattooing, but like literally corporate America, mm-hmm. understanding that it is okay to take time for yourself and not use your time to have to essentially like sell yourself. You know, it's like it sh- you shouldn't have to sell your mental health for the sake of like being able to live. And I think that's one of the unfortunate things that sometimes comes along with tattooing. You know, we, we make good money and, um, we have the incredible honor of of tattooing individuals, but I think there's a lot of responsibility and I think there should be a lot more critical thinking and mindfulness when it comes to that. Wow. I've never heard that being put that way where it's like selling your mental health to be able to live. Like, yeah, I feel like I'm doing that every day. It's corporate America. (laughs) Yeah. It's capitalism and it's brutal. Yeah. Wow. Um, so you have 70 tattoos as you mentioned. Yeah, I've a, I'm pretty sure I have a little over 70 or so. Yeah. What was your first one? My first one? Oh my god, that's so embarrassing. But, <laughs> but also, it's like kind of a sleigh. Um, it's a little infinity sign. Wait, is it on this side? I don't know if it's on this side. Is it on this side? It's like right behind my ear. Maybe it's on this so. side. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yeah, I got this infinity sign because like, went through my basic bitch like phase mm-hmm. at sec- least it didn't break into feathers yes no yeah um, <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i love that um yeah i i got that and i remember i went into a walk-in shop and it was one of those awkward situations right super fast hurt a lot but i don't know i was gonna cover it and then i decided i wanted to keep it because mm-hmm. i was like yeah. this was my first tattoo i felt like a dummy when i looked back i was like damn this is so basic bitch but I also do like the concept of basic bitch stuff is basic for a reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's because it's good. It's, <laughs> it's very attractive to a lot of people. <laughs> and also it's like the foundation that you lay to like get where you want to go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's your journey. You know, it's like the stepping stones of how to find yourself for sure. Yeah, you're infinity mark girly forever. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, oh my god, we're like so infinite. <laughs> Perks of being a wallflower. <laughs> yeah, exactly. My first one is on my back, so I'm really glad I never see it. Yeah. Um, and it's in this type, like, this typewriter font, mm-hmm. and it says you're... It's have... typewriter font? Yeah. I thought it was like balloon font. N- no. <laughs> That's how old it is. It's yeah. like, it's gotten like, you can uh... feel it. It's like braille. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and it says your heavy soul next to mine and I was super into the black keys at the time yeah. so it was like a black I thought it was a black keys lyric and Stop. it's not even a black keys lyric it's what like is it? it's junior Kimbrough I think which is better <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's just like I it's just such a testament to how stupid I was and like yeah. how into things I got but it's also like whatever That's I was life. 19 yeah it's like your like, kid like live and I feel like our la- the last generation didn't get to do that yeah no we, we are like so much freer we're so much more understanding and like I, I just find that beautiful you know I love seeing our generation actually making a difference and creating such a powerful rift that people are threatened I yeah. love that I love that I love to see the toxic things feel threatened it's good um what's an example of that um okay so one of my favorite things when my uh, clients come is conventional um overall placement Mm. so they say that the middle of the body so like let's say um if i were facing you would be you know center of the nose all the way down Mm -hmm. and everything should be facing towards that middle everything should work towards that middle I love to do the most unconventional of my art if, like, my client is down, and they will choose really weird spots sometimes for their tattoos. And I just know, I'm like, if a traditional artist that has been in this industry for 30 years and was a white cis male and, like, applied to what we've been talking about saw this, they would probably be mad. Yeah, they'd be like, that's not how it's done. No, yeah, they're like, this is a disgrace to tattooing. When in reality, in my head, I'm thinking... 
this isn't about tattooing. This isn't about you. This is about the client. This is about the person wanting to add something special to their vessel. And I think that in of itself is something that has excited me, you know, because to be able to tangibly see that is, it's so weird, you know, because we grew up in a time where that wasn't acceptable. It's exciting, but it also feels almost like imposter syndrome. You're like, what the fuck? Like, this is actually happening? Isn't it funny? Like, I feel like the older I get, the more I realize these rules and methods Mm -hmm. are just they're bullshit they it's are. like little boy stuff it's yeah. like oh no these aren't these aren't the rules of the game the it's like club. i'm not playing your fucking yeah. game you know no, yeah. like if i want to play tag by throwing a water balloon i, I don't know what they <laughs> no, meant but yes. like you know what's the point of doing something creative going into a creative field mm-hmm. and doing and being passionate about it if you have to follow rules that are set by what like they're arbitrary yeah no no and they're not you could almost say they're not real. Yeah. They're fully moldable. It's kind of like we can't amend them. We can't change them. I'm like, what? Like, we can always change our culture. That's the beautiful thing. And especially within art. You know what I mean? It's like that's how it evolves. It changes. It creates messages. And right now I think our generation is creating a very powerful message, which is we're not fucking around with this anymore. Yeah. We have to be inclusive. We have to, like, really show what art is actually about rather than just making it a fucking boys club. Yeah. yeah, I think um, it's funny because I do see like male, white male artists are the ones that get hung up on it the most. It's yeah. like this isn't the, the technique that you're supposed to be using oil in mm-hmm. or acrylic or whatever. Or yeah. like, why are you combining the two? All of that stuff. And I think it's just because that's how they figured out how to do it. And that's what's giving their work value in their eyes is yeah, that yeah. their ability to follow these Very rules. Scary which is not based in what art should be. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> that's not expression. That's being able to follow rules. It's rigid. It puts... Of the one thing that you think of when it comes to art, I don't like the idea of walls. Because you would think of art as this beautiful, creative, non-formed energy that can be molded into anything. And I think that is such a powerful feminine side. Um, and when I say feminine, excuse me, When I say feminine, I don't mean, like, women, and I don't think of, like, girls. I'm talking about the essence of femininity, the flow of it, where masculine energy is a lot more rigid. There's a lot more walls or structure, right? And I think that with art, it has really added an aspect and dichotomy to the the world and humanity that I think, you know, we have to remember just how much of an essence and impact that art has on every level within our cultures across the entire world, you know? And so it's nice to see that there is a lot more recognition for people of color and what they are bringing to the table, not just because of studios, but I love that now it's because of social media. They don't need a studio to represent them. Yes, It's like they can literally be like, this is how good I am. This is what I have to bring to the table, and this is why I deserve to be able to produce this art for, for my clients and for the people that I care about and what I'm passionate for. That's the route you took. Right? Yes. Did yes. you do an apprenticeship with a studio or how what was your journey like? So what's interesting is that I wasn't looking to be a tattoo artist at all. I, I wasn't interested. Um I bought a machine that was like fifty bucks off of Amazon. Total garbage machine. It came with like everything, right? So the like Amazon machine, starter kit. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> the machine probably cost like maybe ten dollars. Um, compared to everything else. And I tattooed myself like six times the day it came into the, through the mm-hmm. mail. Didn't even try practicing on like Thanks, fruit man. or anything. Cause I was like, who the fuck cares? Like yeah. it's my body. I'm just fucking around. I'm not looking to make this a serious thing. And then randomly I, I'm just a type of artist that gets very stimulated by different art mediums. And I like to jump around and like mm-hmm. pick what I like and then bring it back to the main styles that I do. So, as I worked on it, I'm, I realized, I'm like, this is so stimulating because each time it's different. Every canvas is different. I have to approach it and, like, think about things in so many different ways that I just fell in love. It's so different and inspired so much of my own other personal work that I do, like, on paper or digital or whatever. Um, my apprenticeship was very short, I will say that. But I do feel like that's because I already had a very specific art style. I already knew what my vision was. And, I mean, Bianca, you know this, like, I already had my, you know, my business started with, like, the Craft Lake City and being able to create, like, vendor situations for myself. So I had a business model and in general, and I actually did this thing where 
my mentor wanted me to create a flash sheet that was a lot more traditional that was very oriented like tigers and and it's like the mentor's probably like you need to know how to do this yes. i need to know that you the know how anchors, to do this yeah. the compasses right and i'm like oh my god no and the body what, of a girl that turns into a skull yes and then the, and then of course the the g slur for the romani people that which is constantly used right mm-hmm. and for me i just did not feel comfortable she's like i want you to draw this and I'm, I, I had to think about it, and I told her, because I talked to Nikki, um, a friend of ours, and, and I told them what was going on, and they tell me, honestly, like, they are using slurs for these individuals, and that should not be appropriated. So I ended up telling my mentor, like, I don't feel comfortable doing this. Like, this isn't a part of my culture. So what I did is I literally created a set of 30 different illustrations that were all mine, non-traditional whatsoever, and I presented them to her, and I was like, hey, I'm booked out for the rest of the month. I was able to sell everything. So I actually wow. counteracted everything. But that's because I believed in my work, and I was very passionate, and I knew that my type of style of work was not going to be perceived maybe the same as other artists, yeah. just because of how emotionally driven I am with my work. Um, and you just showed her, like, this is not, that's not the only way to do this. Exactly. Yeah. It's like the other styles exist. And now she's, she's great. I, I feel like my mentor was actually very supportive. And even though she was shocked mm-hmm. that I went the opposite way, she also was very much proud of me because she was like, you're taking so much initiative. And I am so shook <laughs> that you're already booked out a month and a half and like, you just finished your apprenticeship. So, and that's not me like trying to gloat, but it's just more the idea of sometimes you have to take initiative and especially as like BIPOC mm-hmm. people who are queer, we have to like, you know, we have that resilience. Mm-hmm. We have to bring so much more to the table and show these people like, we can do this. We are just as capable and we want to be recognized for that as well. So this is a funny thing. I actually heavily, heavily inspire off of Rorschach. Mm-hmm. The psychological test that they use. Wow, I see that. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Okay. So okay. I've been in therapy since I was 10, and I just, I really love psychology. It wasn't always helpful, you know, psychological aspects and social norms can be very harmful at times. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did have my own set of those experiences. But regardless, I became very interested. So I did a lot of research into older um, therapy methods. And when I found Rorschach, I don't know if it's like, my doctors are like, we don't know if you're synesthetic or if you're just like have an insane imagination. <laughs> but like, I would find all these different textures and feelings within myself when I looked at these things. And so I wanted to implement them and add them to my work, um, mainly because I felt like it was so much more subconscious. I didn't want the, art, the, the, the viewer to assume what this was about. I wanted them to reflect and to go into themselves and be like, what the f- how, do I, how am I perceiving this, right? To look at themselves. Exactly. And a lot of my work just comes from melancholy. I love sadness. I love holding a space within yourself that is not quote-unquote healthy. It is the opposite of positive thinking and optimism. Because I feel like especially within America, we are taught that it's not okay to be in a not good place. Like if you think about it, you say, mm-hmm. how are you doing? Yeah. You're not going to be like, oh, I'm doing shitty because then it makes everything uncomfortable, right? right. Yeah. And that's such a, is yeah. So we can't handle it. Exactly. It is very much present within our culture. And so my personal project has been that I'm the opposite. I don't feel comfortable feeling happy or positive or good. Mm. And so I wanted to not only bring my sadness to the table to help people introspect, because there, a lot of it is just me trying to... Sorry, I'm like shaking because I'm cold. <laughs> um, but I think that like... I don't know. I, I wanted people to realize that you can't exist as a human being with just the like positive aspects of yourself. That's just impossible. Yeah. You know, it's like everything has a flip to the coin. Everything is balanced. Side. Yeah, it's yeah. like it's balanced and it should be balanced. And so... I definitely think right now my goal has been, like, how do I bring the most, like, sad and kind of ugly aspects of myself and bring them to the table, but not thinking of them as myself and thinking of them as more just human. Mm-hmm. Like, what is it to be human? Because mm-hmm. every human has a monster inside of them, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we all have a primal side, a side that makes us feel like 
we're not good people or whatever it may be, right? That we criticize ourselves. And I want to hold a space for that because I think that when we push it away, it causes us so much more damage. Yeah, denial. Exactly. It's denial. It's repression. And then eventually it leaks in mm -hmm. ways that we just don't want it to, whether it's explosiveness, whether it's reactivity, anything that it could be, that could be negative. I think it's good to be able to embrace that. Let it go, obviously. Yeah. Let it play its place mm -hmm. the same way that happiness should. And let it move forward, you know? So, like, I've had a lot of criticisms, actually, within my work. Not only from other people, from even my dad. Like, he, I remember when I was younger, he would be like, your art is disgusting. Because it's so sad. Hmm. And for me, that just drove me even further. I could see it. They're like, they're so uncomfortable with just feeling. That's Latinx culture. Yeah, yeah. it's like, it's like, you know, just like, levántate, ponte las pilas. Yeah, ponte las pilas. Ponte yeah. las pilas y comienza a trabajar, you yeah. know? And for me, that was something that I was like, okay, yeah, like motivation is good, mm -hmm. but also, why can't we be sad? There's so much pride put in not acknowledging what's hurting you. Exactly. And there's, they perceive that as strength, but really, mm -hmm. it's just, it's toxicity. It's, yeah. it's poison. It's damaging. And it's damaging. And it's something that I learned way too late in life, because it's not something that my parents taught me, but like taking the moment to feel what you're feeling and not not put it in a box, you know, yes. and to let it happen. Because if it's happening in your body for a reason and it needs to release, it needs to go somewhere. And I just learned that. Yeah. No, <laughs> it's no, It's way for too real. late. But I mean, it's not too late, but it's, it's so late in my life. But, um, knowing 29. I'm 29, <laughs> I'm, I'm basically in my deathbed, but, um, <laughs> You're like, I'm almost there. <laughs> Five more years and I'll be gone. Yeah, <laughs> um, But yeah, no, it's just, it's that attitude that we're raised with and within the Annex culture. And I'm sure other like BIPOC cultures and, and backgrounds that say like, you can't show that you're weak because if you show that you're weak, you're, you're going to behave weakly, yes, you know, yes. or, or something like that. But that's, it's actually a strength to be able to feel those things. It's interesting because you're characterizing it as like a letting go and an acknowledging and the way that you're talking about it being represented to you as a younger person is like, if you, if you, um, display it at all, then it becomes you. It's not letting go. It's mm -hmm. like letting it overtake. Yeah. It becomes like a characteristic rather than just a moment in time. Yeah. You know, it's like your human experience. It's it's heavily reduced and minimized in so many cultures that it is definitely worrying. And I'm glad that, like, our generation is trying to create a little bit more of a, hey, this exists. Mm -hmm. Maybe we should dismantle this. Maybe we should pick it apart and, and build something new out of the pieces that exist. And who knows, in those generations prior, maybe our parents' generations, it's what kept them alive. It's what got them to this country. It's, exactly. You know, and maybe to them it was useful and like probably the right way to feel or think mm -hmm. for them at that time. But we have a chance in our generation to correct. Exactly. And to, yeah. Which uh, is a huge opportunity if you think about it. Like yeah. I feel like sometimes we don't realize the opportunities we have as a generation yeah. um as a whole which is like i said i'm very excited not be just because of our generation but the generations that are coming after us because they're woke as fuck you know what i mean like yeah. i mean some of them are like little monsters like, yeah that, some like, of them are yeah. brats <laughs> yeah, like, it comes with it you yeah it's like it's all. part of it's part of the dichotomy once again it's like it's acknowledging the dichotomy and i'm huge into the black and white and the full spectrum in between because I also think that's part of the psychology and the Rorschach spectrum mm -hmm. is what does every individual see within all these different experiences that they've had and why does it mm -hmm. present itself that way to them? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm just, I'm very grateful that I get to do art and that it's my expression and it keeps me like stable <laughs> so I don't like lose my mind. I'm like, my medicine does like somewhat enough. I'm like, but the art takes it to the next level, yeah. you know? So I'm, I am very grateful and I honestly don't know what I would do. I've met incredible friends like you guys while, you know, creating art and I don't know the community that I've been a part of. I, I genuinely am honored to mm -hmm. be able to see the people I love most making a difference within an area that we love you know, that we grew up here and have had to fight for our our presence, our acknowledgement, um, and more than anything, just what we have to bring to the mm -hmm. table of this country because we have so much diversity and so much to offer 
And I'm excited to see how that continues to progress for sure. And doing it on your own terms. Yes, not exactly. Not on the terms that they want to see you in. Mm-hmm. Yes, we are going to break every mold as we should. Okay, so there's just like two more points I just quickly wanted to yeah. hit. So one of them is just the fact that I think for BIPOC queer people, it's not necessarily that it's our responsibility, but we have the opportunity to then create doors, right? Mm-hmm. We are the new doorways. So in my case, I believe that and I'm excited for in the future to create doorways for other BIPOC queer people because I, it took so much to even get to that point mm-hmm. and effort, right? Like I had to create my own art style over a decade to even be acknowledged as, a, as an artist, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and there are so many fucking talented BIPOC queer people in Utah alone and just in Salt Lake that I, w- I would love to apprentice, you mm, know, wow. and, to, and to help them come in because... It is a very, very financially stable job. It's becoming bigger and bigger. I think Salt Lake is one of the bigger mm-hmm. tattoo industries currently wow. in the country, and that's a huge thing. We just had that expo. Yeah, 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 exactly. We just had that tattoo expo. It's like Utah is becoming a lot more like on the map with tattoo stuff, and whether that's because people are moving here or just like ex-Mormon slash like mm-hmm. counter culture type things. <clears throat> I think that in of itself is important for us queer BIPOC people to remember we are doorways, we are keystones, we're bridges. And although it's not necessarily our responsibility, I think it would be very pretty and very beautiful and supportive to show our like our siblings that we are here and that we are we're gonna stand together. Like why mm-hmm. why not? You know? Uplift each other. Exactly. Because it's hard. I feel like just recently too, a new thing is supporting each other like for so long i think in the early 2000s there's this toxic attitude and i think like Mm -hmm. you know probably pop culture showed us that that like competitiveness will lead you to success and there's only room for one Mm -hmm. um and i don't i feel like now we're just being able to be like hey that's not true and like i think capitalism feeds off of competitiveness yep um and it's easier to control too yeah um that way and if you're able to just uplift each other and let each other's voices be heard, I mean, I think um, it's hard. We're harder to control. Yeah. It's harder to sell to. No, hundred percent. It's it's very threatening. Mm-hmm. Which I think in this case, I don't normally like the idea of threats, but like mm-hmm. in this case, I think it's incredibly important because of how damaging mm-hmm. that type of culture has been for, especially for us as queer BIPOC people. Like I think, I as I was looking through the history of it all, I was genuinely surprised how horrific it has been for BIPOC queer people to even get to the status where we are now. And I especially feel for the indigenous people who really have something that is very symbolic on their bodies and how that has been tainted by the colonization, right, of the of the Christianity type stuff. But the other thing that I wanted to bring up was that I do think that inclusivity isn't just like, hey, X people, you're welcome. Mm-hmm. It's about actually creating the environment. It's resources. about Yes, it's the resources. It's the people truly providing that energy. Because if you're just saying like, hey, like we accept queer people, I'm like, so you're just playing along with the game. Yeah. You're just as part of like Nike being like, hey, <laughs> look at our gay little like check mark. Like, we <laughs> love the queers. And then at the same time, they're doing terrible things behind the scenes, right? Mm-hmm. So the Bud Light. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, to me, I'm, I do think that there needs to be a lot more accountability as well. Of like, if you are going to say that you are accepting of people, then truly accept them. Embrace the culture fully. Make them feel safe. Make them feel like they have a, an authentic and genuine experience rather than just making it like a facade. And once again, commercializing it mm-hmm. because it's all capitalism. And that's why I'm like, no, <laughs> it should be about the body. It should be about the vessel. It should be about the client. I think individuality is the biggest threat to capitalism because you can't mass produce for mm-hmm. people who are their own people. Yeah, right? yeah, like, yeah. They get to create their own business, their own power. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That is definitely the biggest threat to capitalism is individuality, people, and then community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, to wrap it up, just describe how people can get in touch with you and what you want to leave to the audience. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's a good question. I don't even know my Instagram handle. <laughs> you have two accounts. Yeah. I have my main personal account, which is really unhinged. Um, <laughs> so I'm like, if that's something you want to follow, that's cool. But you can find me on Instagram at hi, H-Y underscore tattoos underscore. 
um, I tattoo here in Salt Lake City. And yeah, I, I, I really love embracing just the, the babies that don't feel safe because I, I understand that feeling and I'm very incredibly honored that people will look at me and find that comfort you know so it is you're a very calming presence thank you yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you, you so very much safe. thank you so yeah um yeah once again i appreciate you guys having yeah. me on here i'm like of genuinely course. so honored i was right. talking about it all week I'm like, oh my gosh i'm like i get to be on a podcast i'm so with glad my you wanted to do it like yes, i just thank you. want because i i know that i mean obviously i respected your work as an artist for so long and I've, you. I've you know wanted to get you in in an interview format and i feel yeah. like this has been a this is a very comfortable way to yes. to um just expand on things that we would have talked at the bar anyway about. exactly yeah no no yeah it's, so. it's organic mm -hmm. and i think that's once again that ties into the art mm -hmm. is that organicness it just flows we want to get we were talking because i'm trying to get parker their first tattoo um yep. and i was like we should go to high and yes. get some studio ghibli yeah absolutely i would love that well and the thing is it's like one i love studio ghibli it's amazing. I love working with it. And more than anything, I think that I feel like every Studio Ghibli tattoo that I've done, weirdly enough, has been like one of the most powerful experiences. Wow. Whether it's been the connection and the chats we have, but I do feel like a lot of the time the clients will say something that creates like a massive paradigm shift for me. Wow. It's almost like they will, because there's so many different types of people, right? Like you get all these individuals and their perspectives. You'll, I sometimes will hear something and I'm like, oh my God, I have never thought of this this way. And it'll fully like change my life and I'll be like, damn. Well, that's what Studio Ghibli, Ghibli. did for us as kids. Like, yeah. That's perfect. Spirited Away changed my life oh my and Princess Mononoke changed your life. It's like our favorite yeah. movies. I, I think, um, especially for our age group, we all connected with it at a very impressionable age. Mm -hmm. yeah. But it was also not familiar. So it was like... It stuck with us, but <clears throat> didn't quite have the words to articulate like what it was about it. Not yes. just not just that it's foreign, but that it was like allowing, like holding space for us to like hold conceptions that were not, you know, being re the kind that get reinforced daily. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. They they weren't like you said. They weren't being explored at all. They were very, very, very foreign. And I love how like now they're so mainstream. Like the fact that they even play them at like the theater still as like an event. So and interesting. I, yeah, it's it's a cultural like phenomenon amongst us, and I think there's so much powerful meaning even within each individual character. Mm -hmm. So I'm not surprised that people get so many Studio Ghibli tattoos because there there's a reason why, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I, I I kind of like think of that idea of like basic bitch tattoos. I'm like, no, it's it's part of how the culture evolves and how it's like showing like the different little marks that it creates within its own little tiny ripples or communities. I think and... a lot of it too is the artistry of it. You know, mm -hmm. it's it's again like what I was talking about earlier, like there's these pieces of art that always they they hold a burst of like this moment. Like yeah. like you're just biting into it and like I can every time I think about it, I'll never forget the scene where the her in print and spirited away where her parents turn into pigs. Yeah. The food looks so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The enticing food. Yeah. The the indulgence. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I just and being so scared but also like so intrigued and like experiencing those emotions for the first time. Yeah. That it being her parents specifically. Yeah. It's literally yeah. people are Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh my god, I love that movie too so, so much. It's a beautiful movie. How can people book you? So booking, oh, that's a really good question. So my books open um, kind of periodically. It's all flash, so I do like to use, I create my own designs and I don't do customs. If I do customs, they're very, very rare. Um, but my stuff, I like to pre-create and have them ready to go just because I pour a lot of my emotion and then people will resonate in their own way through it. So then the right people get them. Yes, the right people will end up getting them. And so what I end up doing is I have my website. When my flash drops happen, I unlock the page and everybody just buys or puts their deposit wherever they need to. If they're single use, they sell out. If they're not, then they're repeatable. Um, so the biggest thing is just watching out on, like, my Instagram story. Like, I tend to announce it and heavily promote it for about a week or two. Okay. And let them know, hey, like, a flash drop is coming. Set your timers <laughs> if you want to. Because sometimes things do get a little bit hectic, and I'm incredibly honored and, and grateful. Um, and fortunate, too, that that even happens. But 
um, yeah, that's my biggest thing is that I te- I technically do flash only, and on my profile picture it also says like if there is an upcoming um, opening as well. Okay. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for spending yeah. time with us. This was yes, such a pleasant thank you so evening. Much. Yes, thank and, you. Um, we will talk to you next time. Yes. <laughs> All right, so that was our interview with Hi, and I had so much fun talking to them. I know we say that every time, but yeah. it was very particularly a, a good experience with this with this person, with Hi, because, again, we do have, like, a friendship with Hi, so it was good, nice to sit with them and be able to talk to them for, like, a couple hours about yeah. tattooing, but also just... It's- definitely one of those episodes where we needed our 30 minute timer otherwise we probably would have just kept going and going and going and we did go over 30 minutes anyway (laughs) we always do but it was worth it was definitely worth it and even after they left we talked for like another hour about their experiences and Mm -hmm. um, how that's shaped them to where they are now and how that's shaped their art I know they also have a zine that they're working on yeah I didn't realize the scope of that project sounds huge so what stuck out to you about this episode, or about our conversation with Hi? What stuck out to me the most was their ability to push back on their mentor, yeah, on their apprenticeship. I think that I that was huge. I have, you know, I mean, I I know many tattoo artists, and I've heard of their experiences through their apprenticeship, but I've I've never heard of an apprentice at challenging their their teacher. And, and it sounded like the teacher was open to it too. Yeah, which is I mean, really you can't cool. argue with results because they got the whole like they were so booked out after that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They totally were just showing their teacher that that there isn't one way to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, or the, the established way of doing things is like not serving. I I think there's probably an audience who really appreciates that high is like thinking about these things and sensitive to these things and especially in Salt Lake City. Mm-hmm. It's funny because I was, um, just the day before, I was reading an old Slug article about um, tattoo shops that had cropped around. This was like, you know, 92. Um, and they were talking about how tattooing is pretty taboo still. And like, I, that was sort of a, I kind of had to remember that because for so long, I mean, I guess maybe when I was going into high school or something, tattoos were still felt like a, whoa, you've got a tattoo, but like, I'm so far removed from that experience that I had to be reminded, like, there was a time when having a tattoo at all was like, whoa, that's, you're, um, you know, very alt or, you know, different. I, I think that is still the case. Again, I, I really just spent a lot of time listening to you guys talk about your experiences as POC people getting tattoos because it feels like some of that does live on um, in as a POC person, as a POC. One thing that I, I'm surprised we didn't talk about, and I think Kai did mention just briefly, but we didn't talk really dive into the importance of of, and the responsibility of all tattoo artists to understand how to tattoo different skin tones. I feel like that's another way, you know, this cis white male uh, gatekeeping attitude is enforced is by tattoo artists just not caring about knowing how to, or not considering other skin tones. Something I wanted to bring up during the interview, but there was never just a good time to talk about it, is... Something we've talked about on a prior episode, I don't really recall which one, but talking about how things get reduced down to aesthetics. Yeah. Um, And I think tattooing is really interesting because a lot of the time that's what's happening. I think, you know, people tend to have stories that go along with tattoos or there's a lot of meaning behind them. They're obviously very personal, but um, I think it's one of the areas where um, you can really easily fall into valuing something for its visual aesthetic qualities um, and uh, allowing it to exist divorced from context and from, you know, the thing that gives it its meaning originally. Um, I think people hold that right. Yeah, tattoos. I do too. I, I don't, I'm not criticizing anybody who gets a tattoo, um, but I, I would have, like, if we could, can, if I could go back to that interview, I would have tried to find a time to ask them about that because, um, 
you know, I think that's where a lot of the sort of, like they were saying, the, the um, tattoo of uh, G-slur for um, Romani people. Like, um, these things are just sort of divorced from what they mean and considered harmless, but it's not until new people enter that space and do things that disrupt it and are willing to take the stand and say, I'm not going to do that, um, but here's some actual original work that I am going to do. Um, that I think you see people like be willing to interrogate that sort of status quo within yeah, the that's, community. That's the behavior that causes change, mm-hmm. you know, and not being like, "Hey, I need to do this problematic tattoo because it's, it's what people what, expect." It's it, but all, or also it's what I need to do to earn my stripes as right. you know, a tattoo artist. Mm-hmm. I think being able to challenge those norms that are part of <laughs> establishing yourself is very brave but also i think necessary especially during these cultural these shifts in time where we're trying to correct the wrongs of people who've practiced in the past yeah Um, and it does feel like things have changed i mean again I, i don't super know but based on the conversation it feels like we're in a new moment with tattooing yeah i think it's also i mean i'm just seeing and this may be a bad thing in some ways but people can just buy the tattoo guns online now you know and start practicing i'm seeing a lot that's more. how high got started right? yeah that's how i just bought their gun on amazon you know and they're a tattoo gun and just started tattooing themselves and i think this hustle mentality of diy you know like what's stopping me from learning this is a it break it makes things less scary uh, to break into, and I feel like that that's the case with a lot of different mediums, not just tattooing. You know, mm-hmm. um, it the the tools are accessible, but obviously it still takes quite a bit of of course art and um, skill. But it it feels like there's less of you just gotta have, find somebody because the way I understand it is that you just had to have, find somebody who was willing to like take you on and let you be their apprentice and that was sort of your make or break and not that that isn't still the case seems like you do still need mentorship but I think as High demonstrated there's um, the ability to sort of break that mold in that process and not be so entirely reliant on what it rocks and also not super reliant on whoever your apprentice appren- apprentice mentor Mentor? ends up being like not settling um there's been a lot of stories that i've heard of of mentors taking advantage of their apprentices and yeah um just like in any industry someone in a position of power to give you the freedom to do the trade that you want to do yeah wants to yield wield it it's a lot of power to like in some ways i think it's really cool that that is sort of the dynamic is that it gets kind of like passed down, but then that really leans that really lends itself to bias and reinforcing um, the status quo over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. I don't feel like I'm really offering anything new. No, right now. I think it was one of those, those interviews that I don't think we, we have a lot to unpack because high was so prepared and ready mm-hmm. to talk and just had their thoughts yeah thanks hi okay so a couple things we are nearing the end of the season and we have something really exciting for the next season that we're working on and it's going to be a completely different format we've already talked about this a few times but we're getting closer so that's pretty exciting and i'm really looking forward to it and i'm looking forward to seeing how y'all as listeners react switching it up also, tomorrow night, if you're in Salt Lake City, the Boombox Benefit Show is closing at Umoka. April 22nd. April 22nd. And the closing show, I think, runs from six, 7 to 9. And they are auctioning off the porcelain boomboxes for the last time. It's their last chance to be able to do, place the bid. And from what I know... Attentive listeners will remember that we interviewed Horacio. Yes, we did an interview Horacio and talked about this show a few episodes back. And as far as I know, if you place a bed, your, your chances are pretty good of getting one of these porcelain boomboxes. So I wouldn't miss that opportunity to check it out, to go to the show. There's going to be breakdancers, DJ, 
lots of fun. I'm going to be there wearing a very embarrassing costume because I'm going to a party after. <laughs> You're wearing that to the benefit? Yeah, I got a party hop. I got to be prepared. Wow. <clears throat> well, I mean, the last art show, I showed up with the blonde wigs, so I got to yeah. keep up my... All bets are off. Yeah. You're going to be there, I think. Yeah. my I've got like three things going on that night, but I hope to be there too. So we hope to see you there. Well, thank you for listening and Thanks, follow us. Thank on, you, hi. Thank you, hi. And follow hi. Uh, they already said their their handle. Um, yeah, it'll just, be in the show notes. It'll be in the show notes. Follow us local mo- at Locomotive Podcast on everything and our website, locomotivepodcast.com. Talk to you next time. Thank you.